And, um, you know, we've been doing this prayer storm for a few years now. And uh, this is the kind of first time we're kind of taking it out pretty much out of, uh, we, used to, we do this every month in uh, um, the Messy Trust. We have our prayer night, you know, and God just starts stirring our hearts and, uh, you know, to kind of connect with more uh, churches across the region. So basically to take this out to different churches like we're doing right now. And I met with Tom and I was like, Tom, you know, this is what I'm thinking of doing. And he was thinking of the exact same thing, weren't you? So I was like, wow, God is on this. So this is the first church we're doing and I'm really excited. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited of what God's going to do today, okay? Now, I'm aware that we've not got a long time, so I'm going to try to break, break everything that I'm going to say very short. I have a message in my heart that's burning my heart for the youth and for what God's doing. If you're not youth, you know, that's not to say you're excluded. If you're under 40, I'll call you youth. <laughs> oh, you could be younger, huh? Jane, you're still a youth. <laughs> Okay, so we're all youth here, praise God. <laughs> um, a few years ago, I went to the ramp, and um, if you know anything about testimony, I'm not going to go into all the details, but I went to a place called uh, the ramp in Hamilton, Alabama, in the middle of nowhere, a town of probably three or 4,000 people, you know, but there are uh, radical young people uh, in this town. I saw a video of these young people online, you know, a few years earlier, and I was just really impacted uh, by them. And uh, what I was impacted by was the rawness of their hunger for God. Do you know hunger is tangible? You know, it says the things that are sin, it says about things that are sin are made out of things that are not sin. So they're things in the unseen realm. Does that make sense? So the fact that this is a thing you can see is also a picture of the fact that there are things that are unseen. And hunger is tangible. And when you get around someone that's hungry, you can tell it, okay? If you're burning and you're on fire, you really don't have to advertise it. It's clear. If I put fire on you right now, I don't care how timid or how quiet you are, you're going to scream. You're not going to care that you're going to embarrass yourself. If you're on fire and you're burning, you're going to scream. Now, I'm not trying to say you have to be shouting to be on fire for God, but I'm trying to say when you're really burning for God, you don't have to hide it. It's obvious to everyone. Now... I'm saying this to say, when I went to this youth meeting, something that really impacted me that I want to kind of share a bit briefly on is the fact that I was talking to some of these young people and I was, I was around them and it just hit me because I could feel the level of their hunger for God. I felt like I'd wasted my youth. Are you okay? I felt like my youth was just gone because I was seeing all the young people that were the same age as me, and I could see the hunger of God in them, and I was thinking, I thought I was on fire for God. But when I go around them, I thought, my goodness, I am backslidden. <laughs> I wasn't in sin. I wasn't living in any kind of, you know, but I, I felt their hunger for God, and it challenged me to realize, wow, there's a lot more than I realize there is. And I felt like I'd wasted my youth. And my word to us today is, do not waste your life. Do not waste your teenage years. You don't have to wait till you're 25 or 30, you know, to give everything to God. At the age of 12, you can set your face and say, God, I'm going to go after you. You know, and I, I, always, I always say, I wonder what it would be like if we start measuring how great a meeting is. Not by the presence of God we feel in the meeting, but by the desire for God we feel when the meeting is over. 
but the hunger for God, because God is more concerned about what's happening outside of this meeting than what's happening in this meeting. What I mean is, when this meeting is over, you're back to your life, you're back to going to school, you're hanging out with your friends, you're doing your stuff. God is more concerned about the conversations you're having. God is more concerned about the things you watch on TV. God is more concerned about how you spend your life, okay? And you don't know you're asleep until you wake up. Many of you are spiritually asleep, and you don't know it, okay? And many times, God will place you around people that are fully awake from Him spiritually to show you how asleep you are. And the fact that I'm standing here speaking to you, I believe God is going to open a door for you to step into something you have not stepped into before, okay? I've been reading about a few people that have really, really, really challenged my life. Now, one of the things that, you know, I've been pondering on over the last few years is the fact that, you know, the church, you know, the church is growing, okay? When I say in the, people are getting saved and things are happening, you know, and, and a lot of great things are happening across the nation and across denominations. And a few, in fact, I think it was a few months ago, statistics came down and uh, came out and uh, the Christianity was kind of going down basically in percentage in comparison to where it was 10 years ago. Now, I don't know how true all those things are. I don't know. But from what I hear and from what I see, I know people are getting saved. A lot of things are happening. But the problem is, if the figures we're given, if the testimonies we're hearing are as real as the, if the testimonies we're hearing are real, I believe what, we, what we're supposed to be experiencing today is not just seeing the church grow in numbers. We're supposed to be seeing society transformed, okay? Because if those thousand people really gave their lives to Christ, like it says in the Bible, and became the disciples of Jesus, like the Bible calls us to be, society will be transformed, Okay, because what's happening is, and I love this quote, I've read it before, and it really stirs me, it's by A.W. Tozer, it says this, the forces of religion are making dramatic gains, and the churches are more prosperous than at any time within the past several hundred years. I believe that's true today. But the alarming thing is, our gains are mostly external, and our losses are wholly internal. Listen to that. Our gains are mostly external, and our losses are wholly internal, okay? And since it's the quality of our religion that's affected by internal conditions, okay, it may be that our supposed gains are losses spread over a wider field. Are you following me? I know, I know you have to really follow me to get what I'm trying to say, okay? It's trying to say we're having a lot of external gains. We're seeing numbers being added. But actually, what's happening is we're having internal losses. Our connect with God and our death with God is not going any further than it's been before. So what's actually happening is we're actually spreading out our lukewarmness over a generation. People are getting saved into lukewarmness. So people come to the church and see us and see what we live our lives like and buy into that as what normal Christianity is. Are you with me? I want to tell you today, what we think is normal Christianity is abnormal Christianity. Okay? And I want to challenge you on a few things. That you will not waste your life. That at the age of 13, you're going to say, God, I'm going to throw my life into the kingdom. I'm not going to care about what my friends think about me. I'm not going to care about what they call me in school. I'm going to stand out to make a difference like Daniel. Daniel was able to make a difference because he wasn't ashamed, to see, he wasn't afraid and ashamed to stand and say, no, I'm not going to bow to that. I'm not going to give in to that. I am going to be different. And it takes something going on on the inside of you to be able to say those words with your mouth. It's easy to sing it. It's easy to come to church and hang around with your friends and raise your hands. 
you know, and jump around every now and again, you know. But when you get to school and your friends are about to call you names, okay, and you feel awkward because you think everyone knows you as a Christian, it's going to take something bigger than a song you sang in church, something that's gone deep on the inside of you to be able to get you to stand for the truth and not be ashamed. And that is what I'm after. And I believe that's what God's after today. God wants to raise up a generation of people who know who God has called them to be. And no shame to live this thing out for real, okay? Prayer storm is about raising up a generation of people who give themselves to intercession. But, you know, everyone has prayer storm and thinks it's all about prayer. Yes, it's all about prayer. And I do, you know, teach and preach a lot about prayer. But today, I'm calling you to a lifestyle. I'm calling you to give yourself to something. Listen to this quote. Let's see if I can find it. You cannot be sure of having something to live for unless you're willing to die for it. How much do you value this Christian faith message? Is it because your parents bring you to church? Is it because this is what you have to do as the reality of the songs we're singing, as it hits you? Because 10 years from now, you're probably 15 or 16. 10 years from now, you're going to be 26. Many young people come to church in their teenage years and go to university and backslide from God. You know why? No internal depth. It's all external stuff, and we're just buying into a culture. We're going to all the meetings. We're raising our hands. We're hanging out with friends, but there's nothing inside. And I'm here to challenge you. What is your personal encounter with God when this meeting is over? What is going to be happening when no one is looking? That is what's going to cause a revival in this nation. Because as these people are getting saved, okay, if they get get saved into this culture of laying our lives down and counting our lives as nothing and going into their workplaces as nurses, as doctors, as lawyers, okay, as politicians, and they have that mindset, in that place is where we're going to see a revolution in this nation. Because there are many Christians who are ashamed of the gospel, who will not speak for out for the who will, who will be afraid to even tell their friends they're Christians, who are just kind of like just going through the motions, who are just kind of, you know, just fitting in like a chameleon, you know, they're just fitting wherever they are, and I'm not ready to stand now for what's truth, and I'm even ready to be persecuted. Because I tell you what, we have to get to a place where we're ready to die for this gospel. And if we're ready to die for this gospel, then we have to live for it. I have a problem with praying for people who are persecuted for the gospel. You know, and we, you know, their movement, and it's not wrong. I think it's right to pray for them. But I think it's hypocritical for us to stand here and pray for people in China that are dying for the same gospel that Jesus paid the price for, and we are comfortable and not ready to step out of our comfort zone because we're ashamed of what they're going to call us. And we can stand here and tell God, well, save them in China while they're dying for the gospel. And we're here, we're okay, okay? We're okay, we're, we're just going through motions. I'm saying God is calling us to shift out of that mindset. That we're going to be radical for God, people. In this room right here, there's potential to release revolution. There is. I am doing what I'm called to do. This is my assignment. I know it. If you find your assignment, and in your assignment you live, like I am setting myself to live, there will be a revival where you are. Because I know how I've set myself to live. I'm ready to die for this message I preach. It's not just a show. It's not just shouting and saying, Jesus, I love you. No, no, no. I know I love him because I'm giving myself to him. I'm not perfect, but I've set myself, I've set my face like flint. And I know in your school, if you would take this seriously, in that place, God will use to spark a revolution. My message today is do not waste your life. Do not waste your life on Facebook. Do not waste your life on YouTube. 
Do you not waste your life on all the crazy stuff going on around? The latest music or the latest whatever? Focus. Focus. If you're going to see change, you have to be focused. If you're going to affect change in this world, you look at all the great people, Christian or non-Christian. They've had a focus in their lives. And because of that focus, they've narrowed themselves down to one thing. And they've gone after that one thing. And that's what's made them successful. In the Bible, in, in, in a secular world, every single person that's successful has had focus and passion. And they've believed so much in what they're doing that they're ready to die for it. And until that mind begins to be stirred in us, we're not going to affect change, okay? Now, I'm going to share a few stories with you and I'm going to round up. David Brainerd. Anyone heard David Brainerd here? David Brainerd was a missionary to the West, uh, West Indians, the, the West Indians in America. Okay, the Native Americans. He died at the age of 29. Okay? Because he had tuberculosis and all these things. But the story of his life, probably more than the story of any other life, has sparked revivals in the hearts of many men of God in history. He was born in the 1700s. His ministry lasted for only three years. Three years. Okay? First two years, he gave himself the best way he knew how to. You know, and the, you know, he, was, he was a man who was not ashamed to show his weaknesses. He struggled with depression. You know, as I said, you know, he had this sickness that was, you know, that was just a big deal in his life. Okay? But one thing he did well was he knew how to pray. He knew how to fast. And he the more he gave himself to reaching these Native Americans, the more God put this passion in his heart for them. It was said that he would go into the snow at night in wintertime to pray, okay? When the snow was about a foot deep, okay? And he would kneel down and begin to pray to the point where he's sweating. And he's praying for souls. For two years, he's given himself to these Native Americans and not seeing breakthrough. And all of a sudden, God leads him to a place where he starts to see revival, okay? He starts to see people getting saved. And he says people getting saved, and he's realizing that it's not because of the nice words he's saying. Because he had to learn the language. He didn't even know how to communicate the, the language, in, you know, the gospel and the language perfectly. He had to learn it, okay, over, over these three years. But what's amazing is the legacy he left. He lived for three years. And his life is sparking revivals in the hearts of men of God. And I've read about this man, heard about him, and I'm like, you know, I want to know more about, you know, what he, who he was and what he did. And it's just as simple as that. He gave himself to God. He was ready to die for these people that God had called him to reach. Even though his life was short, it wasn't about the quantity. It was the quality of the life he lived. Are you just wanting to live long? For what purpose? Are you going to make a mark on this earth while you're here? I don't want to have another 30, 40 years if it's just going to be playing Xbox and just watching TV and just having fun. What is the point? I want to make a difference on this earth. And I just don't want to make it. I am going to make a difference on this earth. I know it. Okay? A few weeks ago, I was sharing with my team. A few weeks ago, I was in a meeting, and this guy was sharing with me about a revival that happened in Nigeria in 1929. The revival that happened in 1929 in Nigeria came out of some missionaries that were impacted by the world's revival in 2000 and, uh, sorry, not in 1904. You know, all this, is everything okay? Is that my phone? <laughs> okay. Okay, stay with me. 1929. Okay? Everyone says 1929. 
Good. So 1929, a revival was sparked in Nigeria that came out of the Welsh revival, okay? Um, the people that went to Nigeria in that, in that revival, in 1929, they released a prophecy, and the prophecy was something like this. This guy is telling me this a few weeks ago. It says, just like the missionaries came to Nigeria to spark off a revival in 1929, in years to come, the seed of the land, in, in other words, the seed of the land, Nigeria, Nigerians, will be brought out to this nation to spark off another move of God in this land. Okay, he's sharing this with me. I'm feeling the weight of the presence of God. I'm, feeling, I'm being stirred. I'm like, that is me. Okay, you might think, oh, yeah, whatever, James. You, who do you think you are? That is me. I am called to be a revivalist. I am going to spark revivals in this nation. Not because I've got, the, I've got what it takes to make it happen. Because I know I'm called. And I'm living a focused life. And I'm going to give myself to this. And believe it or not, you're marked to be a revivalist. <laughs> it's not just James. It's not just me doing my own thing. There. No, you know, something else I realized. The missionaries that went to Nigeria, okay, to preach the gospel, they went to Nigeria with their coffins. They went to Nigeria knowing they, they were going to die preaching the gospel. That passion in their heart was because there was an internal depth of reality of who Jesus was to them. And I'm telling you today, church, we've lost that reality in our lives. We've settled for comfortable Christianity. We're going through the motions. We're doing all these songs, but we're very comfortable. But if the same passion that burned in those missionaries could burn in me and in us right now, right now, that same passion that caused a young man that even has his family to take a coffin with him to mission field, if that same passion can burn in me right now and burn in you right now, we will see revival in this nation. Because that means you count your life as nothing. You've thrown your life away to, to God and say, God, do whatever you want to do with me. I'm going to round up. Now, there's another story I want to share with you. It's the Moravian movement. Anyone heard of the Moravian movement? 100-year prayer meeting, 24-7. They prayed, you know, I, I don't know what they prayed for. I believe they just saw God, okay? 24-7 <laughs> for 100 years. And out of that movement, this is what happened, came the, one of the largest and most significant missions movement in the world. It came out of a place of prayer, okay? Now, you know, we, we get stirred to go and do mission and we say, okay, reach our friends for God and all that. If we're doing missions out of obligation, we're going to end up in frustration. Jesus healed as he was moved with compassion. The Greek word he's saying is God's. It was when he saw the sick, something happened inside him. It wasn't just a nice feeling. Oh, something happened. And I'm saying to you today, if that same thing can happen in you for the lost, we're going to see a revolution. The Mor Moravian movement they sent our missionaries to the world, and it was the Moravian movement that impacted John Wesley, who ended up being a revivalist in this nation. Okay. And all these people were young people. John Wesley, Judge Whitfield, you know, Judge Whitfield at the age of like 25, he's preaching to crowds of 20,000. No PA system with his voice. Same people fall under the power of God, revival, release, many people getting saved. I'm telling you, we're, we're, we're in this point in history and we have a rich history of revival that we need to remember. Because God is saying, look back at what I did, but what I'm going to do is greater than that. But if they gave themselves the way they did to what I did back then, how much more should you give yourself to what I'm about to do in the future? Are you with me? The, the Moravian women, this story I want to share. There are two young people, okay? They sold themselves into slavery 
for the sake of reaching the slaves, the West Indies slaves. Okay? So they are on a ship. Young people, okay? I don't know how they were. Let's just imagine they were teenagers or 20s. Young people, they sold themselves into slavery because their hearts were moved for the lost. And that happened in the place of prayer. It doesn't just happen because you say, break my heart for what breaks yours and you sing it once or twice. No, no, no. It's when your heart is fixed to the words you're, saying, you're singing and it's a consistent prayer. It's a cry. It's not just words because someone is saying, sing this. Okay? They sold themselves to, into slavery to reach the slaves and when... The ship is, living, is leaving. Their family is on, is on the shores looking at them, going away, knowing that they're never going to see them again. This is what these young people shouted back to their families. Listen to this. They said, <laughs> powerful, may the, Lamb of, may the Lamb of God that was slain receive the reward of his sufferings. I paraphrased it a bit. But... Imagine them shouting that out to their families as they know they're probably never going to come back. That sparked off a, a, a missions movement, the Moravian missions movement. That cry became something that was just like, this is it. We're giving out. May the Lamb of God that was slain receive the reward of his sufferings. My question to you is, is he receiving the rewards of his suffering through your life? Are you comfortable? Are you just doing what you need to do to get along and just get to heaven? Are you trying to get to heaven or are you wanting to see heaven come to earth? Because heaven sent people and on the earth to extract materialism of the earth. Heaven sent people on the earth to display a glory that cannot be found in the things of the earth. And God is calling us to be those heaven sent people. But we're not going to display that glory when our lives are not surrendered. When we're holding on to the world here, we're trying to hold on to God here. Okay, and we're trying to, we're trying to, one leg in the church and one leg out of the church. And we're, we're not totally in. Listen, if Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. How much lordship have you given to Jesus in your life? We can talk about prayer all we want. If it's not coming from a life that's surrendered and a life that's focused on God, we're not really going to affect the change we want to see happen. That's why I'm talking about this. May the Lamb of God that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. That's my cry today. I'm going to finish now. Your call is to take responsibility. Your call now is to take responsibility. Are you ready to take responsibility for where God has placed you? Do you know everywhere you are right now is not an accident? Your life is not an You know, many things happen, rape and all kinds of things happen. God does not ordain that. But once there's conception... And once a baby's formed, there's a purpose in that seed. And in that seed is programmed the destiny. If you take a, a small a grain of a, a, you know, a tree, whatever, you know, I don't know, what, 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 what are they called? Acorn or whatever, I don't know. What's it? A seed, that's it, a seed. Oh, Father. <laughs> a seed. In that seed right there is the DNA of a tree. But the seed is so small, you don't realize it's going to become a tree. But God has programmed, that, that seed is not going to become an elephant. It's going to become a tree because it's programmed to become that. And I'm saying to you, when you were conceived, in fact, not even when we were conceived, before you were conceived, God had a plan and a purpose. 
He might not have ordained the circumstances of how things happened, but he had a plan and a purpose for that seed. And you have a plan. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. You're not an accident. That's my point. It's not an accident you're here listening to me. So, having said all that, where you are placed is not an accident in your school. If you don't take responsibility spiritually, someone else is going to do it. The devil is going to do it, and he's already done it in many places because we as the church have not taken our responsibility. Spiritually speaking, we've got the highest authority in the land. No one can compare to the authority God has given you. Even if you just got saved the last minute, you have the greatest authority. In the realm of the spirit, you have authority. But if you don't exercise that authority, the devil is going to, is going to cheat you. It's going to take responsibility. It's going to do stuff. And that's what he's doing in our schools. People self-harming, suicide, immorality, drug abuse, all this kind of stuff going on. Okay? Eating disorders, all these things. You know? And to be honest with you, you can just see this is the work of the enemy. Because the Christians are not taking their stand. So my challenge to you at the end of this word is this. Are you ready to take responsibility for where God has placed you? That you would live out this lifestyle of the Lamb of God receiving the rewards of his sufferings. Starting in the place of prayer, obviously. Because it's in that place that your heart is going to be moved. Right now, you may think, oh, you know what, I can pray for my friends. My heart is not moved. I challenge you to keep praying for them with a heart that's open. And see if God will not deepen your love for that person. Because when you position yourself to pray for someone, you position position yourself to experience God's heart for that person. And there's no way you can consistently do that and not be moved to reach out to them in any way. Prayer that just stays in prayer, you know, is, you know, I believe prayer every time when we're praying for the lost, God stares our hearts to the point where we can see ourselves as the answers to the very prayers we're praying. Okay? Time is gone. I'm going to have, I don't know if I can have the band come up. That would be great. Um, I've got some forms here. And my response for us today is this. It's very simple. As a prayer movement, our heart is not just to have loads of prayer meetings. It's great to do that. We want to see young people like you take responsibility for your school. And to begin to pray for your friends that are not saved. And to begin to pray for your teachers that are not saved. And to begin to pray for a move of God that you don't have to wait till you're 25. At 15, at 14, God can use you to spark a revolution. It's happened before. And I want to challenge you today. Would you take up this call to say, God, I'm going to give myself, and that's what's on this card. I'm going to give myself to be a prayer missionary. What's a prayer missionary? A prayer missionary is a person that's saying, God, I'm going to give myself to praying for my school. And I'm going to see myself as an answer to the prayer. As you lead me to do whatever you want me to do in that school. While I'm there, God, I'm going to make a stand for you. And this generation is very hard for many people to stand for God in their schools. Because of the pressure, the peer pressure. But I want to tell you, when you've experienced the reality of God inside, all that pressure is like nothing. So I want to challenge you. Ben, can you play? Can you stand with me?